We're back to Acts chapter 21. So let's take a look at that. We're going to not get into um, the narrative flow so much tonight as much as a study of a subject. And that subject is prophecy. So we're going to take a look out of the narrative of Paul. How many of you know he's making his way to what city now? Jerusalem. He's done with his third missionary journey. He visited all those churches once again to restore faith and encouragement to them, to build up the churches he founded and established, to make sure that they're in good doctrine and those Judaizers that came after him always trying to destroy it. He's going back to remind them of what the gospel is. And in chapter 21, he's uh, on his way to Jerusalem. So let me get reading here and we'll see what's going on. Uh, and when we had parted, why, why, does this, why is this in the first person, when we parted? Who's talking now? Luke. Luke. Dr. Luke. When we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there Patera, and having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went abroad and set sail. You know, that's a lot of travel and activity. I don't know how many of you go to airports or travel, and it's hectic, right? You're waiting for ships, you're going here, let's get some lunch, let's sit around, we've got to wait for the boat to load, bring our goods, and there's just all sorts of activity. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. I'm going to read that one more time. They sought out the disciples at Tyre, where they were uh, staying. They decided to stay for a week. And it says, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. They, then we went on board to the ship, and they returned home. I don't know how many families we're talking about, women and children and wives, and you may be 20, 30, maybe 40, I don't know. You know, but they're all, they're all hanging around. What's the main theme of what was happening there? What were they all concerned about? Paul, Paul, please don't go. By the Spirit, through the Spirit, we're telling you, don't go to Jerusalem. But they decided to board the ship. They go to the beach. They're all praying together, huddled together, and they say goodbye. In Paul's mind, he's saying goodbye, really saying goodbye. I'm not going to see you again. Verse 7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now, what Philip was this? One of the seven what? Deacons. He was one of the deacons, right? One of the deacons that were established in Acts chapter 6. Remember with Stephen? What else did Philip do in our studies? 
talk to the Ethiopian eunuch. Before he met with the individual eunuch, what did he do? Kind of brought a revival to Samaria, right? I mean, he was used, he was used as a deacon, went to Samaria, then had a breakout revival, and then God took him and had him go talk to some guy in the desert, an Ethiopian eunuch. So he ends up here. Hey, man, Phil, what are you doing here, man? Look at you, got four little girls and their unmarried daughters who prophesy. Unmarried daughters at this time and at this age, they're probably around 15, 14, 13, 12. The girls got married uh, close to that age at that time. And they all had the gift of prophecy. Okay? Verse 10, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, what are you doing? Why are you weeping? You're breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nansen of Cyprus an early disciple with whom we would lodge. That's where we're going to stop tonight, but we have a lot to talk about. The theme here is prophecy. Prophecy. What do you do with this prophecy? Because there seems to be a little bit of confusion with prophecy. Of course, that's all been figured out in the present day. We don't have confusion with prophecy now. Paul, don't go. The disciples in Tyre uh, all say, Paul, you shouldn't go there. The Spirit's telling us that you're going to get arrested and killed. So that's in Tyre, and he leaves. Then he goes on, and he sees Philip. The evangelist, right, whose four daughters prophesy. And then Agabus, big time prophet, comes down and ties his hands and his feet together. And by the Holy Spirit says, this is what's going to happen to the man who owns this belt. He'll be turned over to the Gentiles and will be beaten. And everybody there's like, whoa, word of prophecy, don't go. God doesn't want you to die. God doesn't want you to get hurt. God doesn't want this to happen to you. You can't leave. Paul, don't go. Now, why didn't Paul listen to that? Okay, at his calling, do you remember this? At Paul's calling early on, uh, the Lord told Paul that he would suffer many things. Man, that's a calling I don't need. (laughs) And that he would speak to kings and rulers. He hadn't done that yet. And so in Paul's understanding, what's the road to kings and rulers? Jerusalem. But how many of you, okay, let's say we're at Tyre. Okay? 
So we're in the city of Tyre. We see Paul. Hey, come on, Paul's coming out tonight. He's speaking. This is awesome. And someone by the Holy Spirit says, Paul is going to suffer violence in Jerusalem. What is going to be the thought of everybody in that church? Oh, God can't do that. God doesn't want you to suffer. I mean, how many of you hear prophecies nowadays where it's like God doesn't want you to have anything difficult happen in your life? That can't be, that can't be God. Let me ask the question here. How many of you have, I know the word suffering has a big, you know, from one to ten. Our suffering in the United States a lot of times can't compare, but there's suffering of, of health suffering of affliction, persecution. Who here has suffered? And I'm not here to judge what you're suffering. Has a season of suffering. Has a season of, let's go from sorrow, a season of sorrow in suffering, a season of loss. How about a season of pain, physical pain and suffering? Yeah. You called it, and I like that term, the the language of the Lord. How many of you felt that you were drawn closer to God through that? Only by his love you were able to overcome. Yeah. I've learned a lot in what's called the crucible of suffering. Yeah, I mean, how many of you have had this statement? You know what, if you're trying to teach me something, you could just tell me. I don't need to go through this. I I would really, you know, I'm not, just, could you be a little clearer? Do I seriously have to go through this pain to learn a lesson? So we do have to be careful with it. But most of the time we are in a bit of a fog based on the pain or whatever we're suffering. We're not looking up. Yeah, it's true. And I I think God is equipping his church to get ready for suffering, but to be able to go through it with strength because I think we're through with the season of prosperity. Probably you become the weakest in your most prosperous times, many times, because you're not on guard, you're not paying attention, you're too, you're, you're enjoying your situation. I'm not, not that you can't enjoy life. I'm not trying to say that. And I'm trying to say the more you suffer, the closer you are to God. You've got to be careful with all these generalizations. But let me go back to the issue, which is prophecy. Okay? Let's look at on your outline here. Agabus comes down and says he's going to be bound and turned over to the Gentiles. But in Acts 19, on your outline, I put the scripture that said this in verse 21 of Acts 19. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem. What's the word resolved mean? determined, made up his mind. He had come to the conclusion, this is what God wants. Now, how many of you have ever come to a conclusion, this is what God wants, and then other people share their opinions on that? And how many of you have then wondered, "Ah, is this what God wants? Or am I right? Am I reading this wrong? Anybody wishy-washy here? I used to have a big W on my chest called Waffle Boy. I would waffle so many times. Been there and done that. All right, so he's resolved, but isn't it interesting to you that in the next two cities he goes to, that they are prophesying and they're declaring trouble, trouble, trouble. Were they reading it right in the spirit? Yes. Okay, so 
it wasn't a contradiction, but it can seem like it. Because Paul, what would Paul be thinking? I'm going to go to Jerusalem. God wants me to go to Jerusalem. And everybody's hanging on him saying, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Right. So it wasn't a directive to Paul. It was for them to know. But it was of the Spirit. It did say of the Spirit. That's a very important point that I'd like you to consider for your life. If God is going to direct you, who should he be talking to? You. There are many times where people... Now, people can give you a prophetic word of what the Lord's saying. But we've got a problem in the church where we've reversed this where we look for other people to tell us what to do for the Lord. I need a word. I need a word. Prophesy over me so I can make a decision on what I should do. No, that prophecy should come as a confirmation to what you've been seeking between you and Jesus to know. We've turned it into sometimes fortune-telling. And that's a real problem. Now, we have, okay, just a minute. We have prophecy rooms here. Uh, every other Wednesday night. And I don't know what you're thinking of when you're going there. It's like, okay, this is awesome prophecy room. You're going to tell me what I'm going to become, what I should do. And you go in that room and they say, okay, next week we want you to invest $1,000 in Google. And then what we want you to do is turn left on Thursday at 10 o'clock and you're going to have this. It's none of that. Most of it is confirmation of what God has been telling you and what you already know. And when you hear someone confirm what only you knew, it comes alive. Right? So there's got to be balance. No, go ahead, CJ. Good question. Why was Paul bent on going? Okay, let's finish up with that. Uh, We know in Acts 19, he resolved, came to the conclusion to go. In Acts 20, verse 22, it says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. Hmm. Okay, so let's break that down. Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem constrained. Big big word. What does constrained mean? Pressed. I have to do this. I am constrained to do this. I must do this. Like the language in 1921, I am resolved. The Spirit won't let me go. Have you ever had something nagging you? That you just can't, i got to do this thing. It just nags you. The, the more you mature in the Lord, that nagging should be easier and easier. When you have a sense of something, just do it. Right? But something nagging you. And he's saying, I am constrained everywhere. I don't know what's going to happen to me. So he didn't have a full revelation. He knew the Holy Spirit told him to go there. Isn't it funny how you and I want so much information? We really want a lot of information as to whether we're going to say yes to the Lord or not. Do this or do that. Well, are they going to respond to me favorably? I don't know if I want to. And he goes, uh, I was constrained. He says, I don't know what's going to happen there except that the Holy Spirit testifies. So what does Paul call what happened in Tyre and what happened at Philip's house? What does he call that? 
test, the testimony of the Spirit. The Spirit's telling you you're going to get beat up and turned over to Gentiles. So the Holy Spirit is filling out the information to Paul, not contradicting, but filling out the fact that you're going and this is going to happen. But this is what's to expect. But to everybody round about him that's hearing it for the first time, they're thinking, no, don't do this. We can't lose Paul. Right? We can't lose the, uh, an apostle like this. And so uh, he knows imprisonment's coming. Verse 13 He says, what are you doing? You're weeping and you're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but to die in Jerusalem. Paul fully expected to die in Jerusalem for Jesus. Did Paul die in Jerusalem? No. See, there's more to the story than he even understood. God does not give us the full information. Where did Paul die? Rome. How many years later than th- from this? You know, but a number of years later, he's expecting to go there and be killed. I don't think, we just don't have all the information when we get information. What is the one thing we're supposed to do, though, is we're supposed to be obedient, faithful. Uh, one thing he said is, if it's given to you, then you have to candle it, okay? It's like, well, what do you mean candle it? And that is a, an illustration that, Chicken farmers, when, when a, an egg is laid to make sure that the egg is fertilized and there's a chick in there, they would take the egg and hold it up to a candle, put the candle behind it, and you can, that way you can see the light come through the egg and you can see if there's a baby chick in there. If it, if it has life in it, then that's good. You keep that. If you hold it up and it has no application, no life, it doesn't apply to you. Or you just hold on to it till it does. Okay? So, here's another thing we have to mature with as the body of Christ. You, someone may give you a prophetic word. You may hear a prophetic word and so forth. Right? And you have to be responsible to decide if it has value to you or not. We can't be so gullible to believe every word we hear. There's tons of people on YouTube, on internet, that are constantly prophesying this and prophesying that and saying this and that. And people are, oh, but he's a prophet. How do you know? It says right underneath his name. (laughs) He's a prophet. And I heard that when he was here, he did this and this and this and this. Has anybody looked that up? I mean, come on. But we believe this stuff because it's, ooh, it's, you know... And it may have no application to you whatsoever. I, I have a lot of people always telling me what Jesus wants me to do. It could. And that's the other point I wanted to make with Eric's point. He says timing. So it may not have application. So we have to, I always say, put it in my back pocket. And we'll hold on to it and see. Most of the time. Well, first of all, the gift of prophecy, according to 1 Corinthians 14, is to do three things. Edify, exhort, and comfort. 
We want it to tell us what to do. God doesn't... Could you imagine if, if your children, you're raising your children, and your children are having the neighbors tell them what to do? It's like, I'm your parent. I'll tell you what to do. Your neighbor can confirm what I already told you. Put your bike away. Or I'll hit it with the car accidentally. Do you see what I'm saying? God is personally involved in your life. Stop using these things to be told what to do or to know what to do. Follow him. Prophecy should confirm what the Lord is saying to you. Uh, Nancy said that people use it as a fail-safe because then they're not responsible for the decision. I heard it from this prophet guy or that because I get this all the time. Pastor, I need to do this. Pray on it. Tell me what you hear the Lord telling you to tell me. It's about you tell me what to do because I don't want to make the decision. And I can help you make that decision. Let's walk through it. Let's get some wisdom on it. Okay? Now, let me show you a few. We talk about the inaccurate inference or interpretation of a prophetic messages. Uh, on your outline, 1 Corinthians 13.9 says this, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. So you and I cannot know the future. We can prophesy in part but not know it to complete accuracy. And so... It's partial information to help us remain in relationship and constant contact with the Lord. If you all have the same spirit that anybody that has a prophetic gift has, we all have the prophetic gift of hearing the voice of God. We've got to learn and train our ears to hear Him. Could you imagine if the only way you were going to hear direction from the Lord was from some prophet in the church we'd all be relying on that person and we should all be relying on the holy spirit first corinthians 14 32 the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets so we're talking about a couple things timing has a big impact on it is it does, does it bear witness with you right now as you're candling it? Is this something you need to act on or not act on? Do you hold on to it, wait for it later? Do you judge all things? We're supposed to judge prophecies, test them. To, what do we test them with? Word of God. All right. But now let's flip it the other way too. On the prophet or those with the gift of prophecy. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So... Sometimes the person giving the word is got their own issues. And they're misinterpreting what they're hearing from the Lord and saying it. Couldn't this just be a lot clearer if he'd tell us what to do? <laughs> but there's the human will in all of this dynamic, isn't there? So, we have to grow and be mature and listen to what the Lord. I put this subject here, should prophecy override the leadership of the church? 
Even if a prophecy is genuine, the leadership of the church still needs to interpret what they're hearing and act based on God's overall will for the situation. I had a situation uh, years ago where someone came to me and said, I really feel the Lord told us that the church must fast. If we fast, we're going to have a breakthrough and God's going to do an amazing thing. And they were pretty well convinced of that. And so Pastor Ron and I went into prayer, and we thought, let's, let's, yeah, let's seek a fast, and, uh, but let's do it in this manner, because based on what we see where the church is at, this is how we want to approach the fast. That person was very upset, because that's not how they wanted the fast to go. And I said, well, you got the message that the church should fast, and God's not speaking to us about that. So we're going to pray about it and determine it. You're the messenger. We're still responsible as leadership of the church as to how we're going to handle it. And that wasn't good for them. And that didn't work out for them. But we did fast according to how we felt we should fast. So, again, we're not lone. Sometimes when people have prophetic gifts, they feel like if they're not being paid attention to, you know, they're the lonely prophets out on the hill that no one pays attention to. we got to work together. Yeah. So we have to be pliable. We have to be teaching. We have to be open to what the Lord's saying. We have to be willing to try. Let's discern that word. Because we can go to the other place. Because this prophecy stuff is not as clear as we want it to. Just shut it all down. And how many of you know most of the churches today have just shut it all down because it's too messy. It's just a lot easier for you guys to do what I say when I say it. That's, whoa. But that's, that's where we're at with a lot of churches because it's just too hard. You know what? It's not too hard if we get the mind to search it out, find out with God and grow and mature. Yeah. So give it some time. It doesn't have to be, usually if someone's saying, you know, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this, right now, right now, I'm a little leery of that, because wouldn't God have prepared me just like any, at any time before this? And so, yeah, give it some time. Dallas Willard, I don't know if any of you have studied Dallas Willard or any of his teachings and stuff, but, you know, people always talk about hearing the voice of God and doing this, and he said one of his things uh, as other people like go into prayer and do this, he says he offers it to God in prayer, and then he just goes about sweeping the floor, doing work, doing his chores, doing whatever. He says he gets his mind off of it because that frees his mind and spirit up to then hear. So give it some time. Let me show you some other uh, aspects to this. So we have a situation, I've read different commentaries of people who have looked at this and they say, yeah, the Spirit told them that Paul was going to die, the people didn't want him to go, and the other one is Agabus told them what was going to happen and Paul still went, so obviously the Holy Spirit's telling him not to go and he went anywhere. But that's not what happened, you've got to read the passage. The Holy Spirit didn't tell him not to go, the Holy Spirit told him what was going to happen. Two different things. So many times in prophecy, spiritual language has many dimensions to it. Let me give you an example of a prophecy. God 
is going to give a word of prophecy and it's got four points. This is going to happen, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and this is going to happen. And so we receive it, we hear those four points, right? Paul, you're going to, Paul's going to Jerusalem, you're going to be tied up, you're going to be beaten, you're going to be turned over to Gentiles, and you're going to die, right? Or whatever prophecy may have been given to you. And so when we hear it, we all hear it in our now timing and in our present sense of what it could mean to me right now. But when you turn and look at this thing from a different vantage point, all four of those words, but totally different timing. You see what happened there? God gave a word but you couldn't see that it was spread out. But he gave it to you, all the information at once. Has that any, happened to anybody? Yeah. So I've had words given to me from years and years ago, and it took many years before, oh, that's what that was. Right? So was God wrong? No, he gave it to you all, but it's the timing. It's the waiting. So... Let me give you another one. I, I don't know how many people I've prayed for, laid hands on, and uh, had the sense of what God was saying. And it's like, God's going to have you speak to nations, going to have you do this. I don't know how many times I've said this over people, you're going to speak to nations. And I don't know how many times I've heard this. Okay? And what's your thought when you hear, you're going to speak to nations? Evangelists, you're going to go to Africa, you're going to go to China, you're going to go around the world, you're going to have platforms, and you're going to speak, and you're going to be broadcast, and this and that. I mean, that's my takeaway for praying for someone. And I had to ask God, what are you talking about? How come I'm always saying that to people, this and that? Well, in, in their Bible group, they had a, a bunch of people from different nations, maybe 20 people there. Did they speak to nations? Yes. See, what, what we're doing is we're putting it in our little pea brain and trying to make it fit what we understand. But speaking to nations, right? I could talk to any student, pray over them that goes to Wayne State, and guess what they're going to be doing? Speaking to nations. How about at the restaurant? You speak to nations. How many different nationalities come in and out of this restaurant or, or wherever you're at work? You're on the phone ordering parts from Korea, ordering parts from Japan, ordering, right? You're speaking to whom? Nations. How many of you get infomercials? How many of you get, right, phone calls from India? <laughs> you're speaking to nations. You're warned, right? So here's the thing. I just wanted you to kind of grasp this prophetic is much bigger than we realize. What was happening with Paul in the dynamic of the churches is they were getting aware of what was happening, not being told that he shouldn't be going. So when you receive a prophetic word, candle it, hold on to it, consider it, wait on it, and see that it could be your whole life. Paul, look at this first, the very first arrow, let's say is when Paul got saved. Um, when Paul got saved, he was told he was going to speak to kings. Was that true? How many years did it take for him to, 30 years later, then he speaks to kings? 
So what God speaks over your life is true. You just don't know when. A couple points I want to bring up from what he said. Um, There's different levels of prophetic giftings. Um, And a prophetic word is just a word under the unction of God in his timing. Just share something. As, As you said, Eric said, it could be simply as Jesus loves you. You know? because it edify, exhorts, and comforts someone, all right? Prophetic gifting can go all the way to the place where there are people who are prophets and have a prophetic calling to where they're speaking to nations, speaking and sometimes speak out what is yet to come. But that we can operate in the, the simplest of prophetic by sharing, feeling empathy, from the Holy Spirit, that's prophetic. You know, you may not even have to say anything, but just show up to someone because you have the prophetic unction they need someone near them. That's prophetic. So that's what we're talking about. Now, in the service, what CJ was talking about is uh, the gift of prophecy where we allow, after worship and there's times of flowing, we allow people to speak out what they feel the Holy Spirit is saying for the church and that's in the language of English that we all speak so that people can understand it or it can come with someone speaking in tongues by the spirit and someone interpreting what that message was which brings it to the level of prophecy once it's interpreted and now we can understand it and it's for edifying exhorting and comforting the body of Christ okay now he made the point Because some of you have this gift, it's so natural for you to speak it out all the time. But the point is, are you supposed to speak it every time? It could be for you, personally. It could be something you need to hold on to for a certain time. Uh, We also have to leave room for other people. If you're the same one prophesying all the time, how is someone else going to learn to use that and develop that gifting. So leave some room. Um, and uh, so we, we've just got to be, be careful with that. And many times it's to edify, exhort, and comfort. Some of us, I get complaints a lot from people saying, you know, our prophecies aren't deep enough, our prophecies aren't powerful enough of this and that. And they want to hear some really meaty stuff, you know tell me what's going to happen next week or this or that. And it's like, it's to edify, it's Jesus speaking to his bride, edifying, exhorting, and comforting her. And so sometimes there's a prophecy, I love you, my children, draw near to me. That's the husband saying to the wife, I love you, draw near to me. There's nothing shallow in that, okay? Well, let's, yes, you're right. You're right on. You're right on. All right, let's, let's finish up here. What are we going to do with false prophets and false prophecy? Pastor Ron gave, uh, it's been about a year ago, I asked him to do a teaching on a Sunday morning concerning prophecy because of the elections last year and all the prophecies that came out about it and many of them were off, not fulfilled. And... uh, we needed to speak to that. And uh, he brought up an amazing and a very important point. And right now in the church, we've got people calling 
each other false prophets continually. Everybody's a false prophet and a false teacher if they don't agree with their camp. And that's not the case. And as Pastor Ron said, you can, what a false prophet is, is someone who knows what is right and purposely distorts it to speak it wrong. If someone is calling out what they feel or sense is a prophecy or declaring a prophecy for the Lord and just missed it, got it wrong, that doesn't make them a false prophet. It makes them an incorrect one. There's a difference, right? I've been teaching for 30 years. If I teach a principle and get it wrong based on my study and understanding and I just didn't get it right, I'm not a false teacher. I'm an incorrect teacher, and i got to fix that and get it right. I don't lose my salvation over that, and we don't kick them out. So, yeah, there were people zealous in all their prophecies and what they were declaring, and I'm sorry, but many of them were wrong. And, but they're not false prophets. We, we shouldn't be labeling people in that camp. That's what we've got to be careful of. And New Testament prophecy is different from Old Testament prophecy. Functionally different. I'll say it one more time. Functionally different. Why is it functionally different? Who can tell me? Old Testament prophecy was what? Correction, warning. Right, there was an appointed prophet. In the New Testament, we all have the Holy Spirit in us, but here's the key main event. The people did not have the Holy Spirit in them. There was only one person speaking for Yahweh. They didn't have the scriptures at that time. Those were compiled in the 400 years of silence. Everybody didn't have an Isaiah scroll in the Old Testament, okay? Uh... King David only had the law of Moses written, okay? So God had prophets that did speak directly for the Lord. New Testament prophecy is under the authority of the Word of God already spoken and is subject to that Word and is corrected by that word, no one is speaking new revelation from God. If they say they are, run. But there is no new information that God's going to give us. There's no, nothing that shouldn't be backed up by Scripture. Okay? So if there's prophecies that are vague and that are kind of this or that or weirdness, and all that, and you can't back it up by the Word of God, I wouldn't even put it in my back pocket. I'd lay it somewhere and move along. Okay? Do you you understand what I'm saying? So, in the Old Testament, you were to kill a false prophet. Why? Because they say they're speaking for God. Okay? So a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. Because that can distort the directives that the Lord's giving to the nation. Okay? But you all have the Holy Spirit within you that can bear witness, and you know the Word of God by which you can approve as to whether someone's saying something right or wrong. 
If they're saying something and they get it wrong, again, we love to tell the future, and that's not the main function of prophecy. It's to confirm, okay? But anyways, if they say this and the, this and that, and it doesn't come to pass, that prophet should say, I got it wrong, forgive me. I'm trying to do the best I can. If they won't, and they keep tweaking and distort and shifting it and doing this and doing that, stop listening to them. But we, we don't have to call them a false prophet, and we don't have to say that they're not our brother, unless they prove bad fruit more and more. All right? So we have to be careful. We have to be careful how we're labeling people. People have made mistakes. Teachers have failed in their teaching. They're not false teachers. They got it wrong. They should be humble to incorrectable. All right? So I'm just trying to bring some clarity. So in the end, Paul is heading to Jerusalem. At one church, by the Spirit, they say, You're gonna, this is going to happen to you, that's going to happen to you. At another church, he goes, a guy binds his hands and says, this is what's going to happen, and you're going to go. And they're all weeping. And listen to the one thing that Luke says. Luke says this. Um, when we heard this, Paul said in verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, what were they trying to do? Persuade him. Why? They heard what the Holy Spirit was saying. They thought that was a directive from the Holy Spirit. It was not a directive. It was a revelation of what's going to happen. They took it as a directive. They were trying to persuade him. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Who finally got persuaded? They did. Do you see the fight here? So this is what's going on in the church. There's a lot of fighting. People are saying this, and they're saying, no, it's this, no, it's that. And we're trying to persuade each other, and we both love the Lord, and we're both trying to figure it out. And so then we start throwing the bigger things. You're a false teacher. Yeah? Well, you're a false prophet. Yeah? Well, the devil's in you. Yeah? You're going to hell. That could have broke out right there. Paul could have stood up and said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You're all false prophets. Of course he didn't. But I'm just trying to point out what is going on in the church and what we have to be smarter about. They fully believed, based on what they got from the Holy Spirit, Paul shouldn't go. You shouldn't go. Paul said, you are wrong. I must go. This is just a revelation of what is going to happen to me. I have to go. And he persuaded them. And they released. So I'm... I'm just tired. It's so easy for us to get into this fight right now, brothers and sisters. Don't get into this fight of they're of the devil, they're wrong. You know, I'm so tired of this Baptist Pentecostal thing, the, the Baptists against you tongue talkers, and, and, and this whole bit where they're trying to distort the office of apostles and prophets, and that's from the devil. And all this stuff, it's like, come on, people. It's not... 
We have to wrestle through the scriptures. We have to wrestle through understanding the intentions of what people are doing. We're part of the same kingdom. We need to walk further. So I'm encouraging all of you to mature in an understanding of the use of gifts and the complexities of trying to understand the directives of God. Amen? Will you receive that? Amen. Amen.